And turn to Luke chapter 2, and we'll be in verse 36. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Thank you so much for watching us online today. We're actually broadcasting this on the day after Christmas. So if you're watching this, I hope you and your family all had a very Merry Christmas. And I thought what we would do today, since we're broadcasting this on the day after Christmas, is that we will look at a story that happened really soon after that first Christmas. Uh, before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. And the question is, have you ever noticed in life, have you ever noticed in life that you can have a need but not be aware of it? You can have a need but not really see it, not really be, you know, not really recognize it. When I was thinking about this message, I, could, I couldn't help but uh, think about my first date with Leslie, my wife. For those of you who don't know, Leslie and I have been married for almost 25 years. It'll be 25 years in 2022. But I still remember our first date together. I splurged and took, a, took her to a very fancy restaurant called CeCe's Pizza. And <laughs> we're sitting there uh, enjoying the buffet together. And I have this thing about me that when I eat green leafy things, maybe kale, spinach, broccoli, that it gets stuck in my teeth real bad. And so we're sitting there on our first date and I'm eating this spinach and cheese pizza. And of course, the spinach is just stuck in my teeth during our whole first date. And unfortunately for her, she never, she never mentioned it. She just let me sit there with that spinach in my teeth. And later on, I, I asked her, I said, how come you never told me I had so much spinach in my teeth? So which she said, well, I just thought you boys from Arkansas always, had, always have stuff in your teeth. You know, so low blow right there. But I had this need. I had this need for this yuckiness to be removed but I didn't know it. Now, you might be going, where in the world are you going with this? Well, in the spiritual realm, <laughs> we all have a need to be rescued, but not many people are aware of it. We all have a need for this yuckiness, this grossness to be removed, but not many people see it. And I think there are two main reasons why we don't recognize this need, or even if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time, why we don't recognize exactly what we've been rescued from. And I think one is familiarity. You know, we're just so familiar uh, with sin these days. You know, it's like we, we sin and it's like, well, everybody makes a mistake and it's not a big deal. And we just don't realize what sin actually does and that we've been rescued from this, that sin actually divides and sin, you know, crushes relationships and we don't recognize the gravity of those poor choices and we don't recognize or I don't recognize how much I really need him, how much I really need his rescue and his help. So I think familiarity is one of those reasons. And I think the other reason why we don't recognize our need is fear. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm, if I'm real about the need I have that makes me look weak, or if I am real about how my poor choices have hurt other people, there might be consequences, I'll feel shame and guilt and there'll be condemnation and all these things. But a huge part of the Christmas message is that God sent us a savior and in his kingdom is actually acknowledging our spiritual need. It's actually by being real about our sins that it leads to everything you've ever wanted. It leads to freedom. It leads to healing. It leads to gratefulness. It leads to humility. Acknowledging your spiritual need, acknowledging I need rescue, actually leads to everything you've ever wanted. And so a big part, a huge part of the Christmas message 
is that God sent us a savior. God sent us a savior and he gave us the greatest gift that meets your greatest need. Christmas is about God giving you the greatest gift that meets your deepest need. Now to help us live in recognition of that, to help us live in you know, gratitude of that, I want us to take a look at Luke chapter two, beginning in verse 36. And this is the story of Anna. I have never preached on this passage before. And I'm excited to do it, but let me set up the story for you. So Mary and Joseph had their baby boy, Jesus. And it's about 40 days after that first Christmas, they come to the temple because Mary had to go through the custom purification rites after giving birth to a child. This was custom. But also to dedicate their baby boy, Jesus, in the temple. And as they're at the temple, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, as they're at the temple, they encounter two remarkable people who say some remarkable things about this baby, Jesus. Uh, one is Simeon, which we're not going to cover in today's message, but the other was a lady named Anna. And I want to look at her story and see what she says after she encounters Jesus. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. This is really awesome. There was also a prophet, Anna, the, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. So the first thing we learn about Anna is that she's a prophet or prophetess. What is that? Well, a prophet is someone chosen by God to bring to light his will, his ways, his word. That's what a prophet is. So she's a prophet and she's from the tribe of Asher. If you remember, Asher is one of the sons of Jacob. So she's from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. She has direct lineage to the patriarchs of Israel. Next, this is what Luke says. She was very old. Now, <laughs> in our day and age, I tiptoe around saying things like that. Um, you know, I, I might say someone's getting old or maybe you're old, but I would never say you're very old. Luke does not tiptoe around that. Luke says she's very old. And this is the reason why. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you will see a subscript there. And your subscript might say, or in the Greek, this could say that she lived as a widow for 84 years. So either she's 84 years old, or she was a widow for 84 years, plus she was married for seven, that puts her at 91. She probably didn't get married till she was like 13, that puts her at 104. So she's either 84 or 104 years old, Luke is right. She's just very old. But here's what I want you to hear. She may be very old, but she's not useless. Her life is not meaningless. She's not a burden. God sees her and God wants to involve her in great things, even though she is, quote, very old. I want you to hear this. I don't care what stage of life you're in. I don't care if you're young, middle-aged, very old, whatever it may be. God sees you. Your life has meaning. You're not a burden. God is for you and loves you. Anna is a great example of that. And Luke continues to say this about Anna. This is remarkable. She never left the temple. This is in Luke 2.37. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Do you realize how impressive that is? She had lost her husband at a very young age. She had been a widow for a very long time, but yet she never gave up on the one who never gave up on her. And I hope that's an encouragement to you as well. 
persevere with the one, Jesus Christ, who is always persevering with you. Anna suffered loss at a young age. No doubt she probably suffered a lot of shame being a widow for that long. Probably people in her society go, would go, what's wrong with you that you can't get remarried and all these things. She suffered loss, loneliness, shame, but she, it's like her trials just drove her deeper in devotion to God. And may our trials do the same. Don't you give up on him. He never gives up on you. Anna is such a great example of that. And she spent her time at the temple fasting and praying. And what I think she fasted and prayed about was the coming of the Messiah. She was waiting on him. And in Luke 2.38, the next verse, she's about to encounter the one that she's been waiting for her whole life. Watch this. Luke 2, verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment. Anna gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child, Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Anna encountered Jesus, the child, after that first Christmas, she gave thanks to God and she had a message. And the message was, if you're looking for redemption, the Redeemer is here. If you are looking for redemption, the Redeemer is here. Now, this word redemption in Luke 2.38 is a fascinating word. Um, when I was thinking about it, the first thing I thought about was kind of a modern look at redemption. Um, I was thinking about redeeming airline miles. I don't know if you have a credit card and, and you rack up these reward points. And, and if I go in there and I redeem those points, what I'm doing is those points are just sitting there in captivity, if you will, uh, doing nothing. But if I redeem those points, I release those points from that account so I can purchase airline miles. So redemption points means I, like, I redeem those points for a purpose to purchase airline miles or reduce the, the balance of my credit card. And, and there's some value in understanding redemption like that, except what Anna is talking about is not airline mile redemption or point redemption. She's talking about people redemption, releasing people from a captivity, releasing people from a very oppressive situation for a purpose. This is so much bigger and so much better and so much more intense, intense than point uh, redemption. Now, this word redemption that we see in Luke 2.38 is only used three times in all of the New Testament. The first one is in Luke 1, verse 68. We're not going to go there. Here's the second time in Luke 2.38. But the third time it's used is, is pretty, pretty special because it's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 12. And I want us to go there and I want us to see how redemption is used in the book of Hebrews. Look at this. The author says this. He, meaning Jesus, did not enter by means of uh, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And I love this verse because it used to be that only one time a year. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You can read all about it in Leviticus chapter 16, that the high priest would enter the most holy place. And before that high priest entered the most holy place, the high priest would have to bathe and get very clean, put on clean garments, and enter the most holy place on the Day of Atonement with a blood sacrifice. 
And so that happened year after year. But Jesus, something was different, and, and Anna knew it. This is the one that's going to bring eternal redemption. Eternal redemption is, hey, once you've been rescued from this situation, you never have to go back. This is everlasting redemption. This is very special redemption. I think that's why Anna, when she saw the boy, she goes, hey, here's the real redeemer. This is the one which real everlasting redemption happens. And no doubt, Anna would have known this story because she was a prophet. She would have known this story in the Old Testament that prophesied about the one who was going to bring eternal redemption, the one that was going to break this cycle of having to make sacrifice after sacrifice. And the prophecy is found in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, where Zechariah the prophet has this, has this stunning vision about the high priest of his time. His high priest was named Joshua. I want us to go there because Anna would have known this story. Prophets would have known this story. So Zechariah 3, verse 1, look at what this says. Then he, God, showed me, Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest. That was the high priest in Zechariah's time. The high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. But what was so shocking about this vision Zechariah had was how the high priest was dressed before the Lord. Look at this, Zechariah 3.3. Now Joshua, the high priest, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Let me stop there. That's not normal for a high priest. A high priest could not stand in the presence of the Lord in filthy clothes. Remember I said on the Day of Atonement, they had to, they had to uh, bathe, clean themselves, put on clean garments. But here Joshua the high priest is standing, it says before the angel, this is before the Lord, standing before the Lord in filthy clothes. And Zechariah, seeing this vision, had to be thinking, oh my gosh, Zachar- uh, Joshua, you are toast because you cannot stand before the Lord in filthy clothes. But then something great happens next. Watch this, Zechariah 3, 4. God says, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. The Lord takes off Joshua's filthy clothes and says this next. Listen, high priest Joshua, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch, and I'm going to remove the sin of this land in a single day. And so right here in the Old Testament, is a prophecy. Hey, you know how on the Day of Atonement, everyone, you know, the high priest comes in and, and, and comes in with clean clothes, brings this blood sacrifice and, 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 and makes atonement for the sins of the people. And it has to happen year after year after year after year. God says right here, I'm breaking the cycle. And I'm going to break the cycle by sending my son, the branch, my servant. His name is Jesus. And by the way, Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeshua, because there's no J in Hebrew, but Yeshua. Same word as Joshua, the high priest. Jesus Christ, the son of God, the high priest came as our ultimate high priest, as the ultimate Joshua. And he came Everything got set in motion on Christmas Day when he was born, and he came to break the cycle, to remove our sins in a single 
day. And he came and he, he too, just like the high priest Joshua in Zechariah's vision, he wasn't dressed in, in fine clothes. In fact, he was stripped of his clothes and he was covered in our filth and he gave us his righteousness. So he appeared before the Lord filthy because he took on our filthiness and he died on the cross. It cost him everything. And that's what you got to understand about redemption. Redemption always costs. Even to have airline miles and reward points, that costs somebody. Like if I have lots of reward points, it costs me a lot of money to get those reward points. Redemption always implies cost. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and he secured for us an eternal redemption. He rescued us from our sins and we never have to go to captivity again because he attained for us an eternal redemption. That is so awesome, but it's even more than that. It's even more than that. I want to go back to Anna. Look at Luke 2.38 one more time. Or again, we're going to go to it a couple more times. Anna is looking around. She's going around looking for people who are looking forward to redemption. She's going around speaking to, about the child to all who were looking forward to redemption. And the way that's put, it's almost like there were people, as Anna's walking around in the temple, there were people not looking for redemption. Maybe they thought, redemption, what do I need to be rescued from? I can make a sacrifice. I can follow the law. I can rescue myself. You know, maybe people were thinking like that. And you remember how I said, you know, at, at the beginning, people can have a need but not know it. Um, this is a case because I think I want to say this. Let me put it this way. There's a modern understanding of redemption that we need to be aware of and then we need to throw it out the door. Because another modern use of redemption is like if someone makes a mistake, but then they make up for their mistake, people will say, well, they redeemed themselves. In fact, I was watching a basketball game the other day and, and, and a player comes down on offense and turns the ball over. Well, the player gets back on defense and steals the ball back. And the announcer said, quote, that person redeemed themselves. They made up for their mistake. Well, see, I want to throw caution in the wind there because that modern, that modern understanding of redemption really doesn't work in the kingdom of God. We cannot redeem ourselves. It's not that we're just being rescued from sin, but we're also being rescued from the wages of sin, which is death. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to understand this. Christianity is not so much about making bad people good or making a bad person decent, or an immoral person moral. There's a lot of things that can do that. Christianity is really so much bigger and better than that because Christianity is about making a dead person alive again. That's what Christianity is really about. It's not that just you are in bondage to sin, but you are in bondage to the wages of sin, which is death until Christ came, died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, not only beating sin, but also beating death, therefore rescuing you from death. And I think the person that put it the best was the Apostle Paul when he said this in Ephesians 2, verse 1. Watch this. This is, this is such a beautiful picture of redemption. Here's our condition. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
That's a condition you can't do anything about. You can't redeem yourself from that condition. Dead means dead. You, you, you can't do anything about that unless someone who's alive and more powerful than death comes and, and does something about your situation. I've always said this about this verse. But notice Paul says, he does not say, and you were sick in your trespasses and sins. He doesn't say that. Because with sickness, look, we know with COVID right now, there's no really pattern to COVID. There's all these different levels that people experience. Like some people get tested just because they need to get tested and they test positive. They never knew they had it. They were asymptomatic. Some people get COVID and it's a mild case of COVID. And they're like, well, of course, I had a little bit of headache, but I still mowed the yard, raked the leaves, did the dishes, I stayed home the 10 days, but it was very mild. Some people get COVID and it's a moderate case. It's like they really took them out. They don't wish it upon anybody. They're tired and they had to lay up in bed for a couple of weeks. It was very hard on them. For other people, it's severe. They have to go to the hospital right and get be put on the ventilator and it's awful still others it's even more severe than that and they die from it there's all these different degrees of sickness dead there's no degree of death you can't have a mouth case of death this doesn't say and you were sick in your trespasses and sins as if you know maybe you just had a mouth case and you'll get better on your own no you can't do anything about this condition unless someone comes and rescues you And so Paul says this, you were dead, but look at this. But God, in Ephesians 2, 4, I love that, those two words right there. I was dead, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love of which he loved us. Why, God, have you been so merciful to me? Because he loves us. Why, God, would you take my condition of not only being captive to sin, but being captive to death and rescue from me from that? It's because he loves you. If anyone knew about the love and mercy of God, it was the apostle Paul. What did he deserve? He didn't deserve mercy. He didn't deserve to be rescued from sin and death. But Paul's like, I know his mercy. I know he loves me. Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love of which he loved us and look at this next verse even when we were dead in our transgressions God has made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and friends and family that right there is redemption you were dead in your transgressions you needed to be rescued And God came. God sent his son. He's made us alive with his son. By grace, you have been saved. That's eternal redemption. That's the redeemer. That's what Anna knew. There was something special about this child. And so she sees the child and she says, the redeemer is here. She received that message for herself. And then she speaks about it to anyone who is looking for Redemption. We got to do the same thing. We got to receive that message for ourselves. And then we too, like Anna, have to go out and speak about it. Look at, look at Luke 2, verse 38, one more time. Look at this. Coming up to them at that very moment, Anna gave thanks to God and she spoke 
about the child. She spent all of her life speaking to God, being devoted to God, fasting and praying. And now she's going out speaking about the child to anyone looking for redemption. I love this word spoke up here because in the Greek, it's actually in the imperfect tense, which means it's an action which is incomplete. In other words, Anna, after she encounters Jesus, she doesn't just speak about the child that day. She spent the rest of her life speaking about the child to all who were looking for redemption. She never saw it as a completed task. In fact, her life still speaks about Jesus Christ today. And let me tell you something about spoke up here. I speak about whatever I'm excited about. Whatever makes an impact, right? That's what I speak about. So if I see a good movie, I speak about it. I tell people about it. I mean, if you haven't seen the new Marvel movie, Spider-Man, go see it. It is awesome, okay? So I speak about good movies or a good series. If I go to a good restaurant and I love it, I go back and I start telling people about it. I speak about that which I'm excited about. Let me tell you something. Are you excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Come on, he rescued you, not only from sin, but he has rescued you from death. Death no longer has a hold on you because of what Christ did. He has rescued you from sin and death. Do you speak about it? It became Anna's purpose, and she spoke to all who were looking forward to redemption. So here's my Christmas challenge to you. Here's my kindness challenge to you from this message. Will you ask God every day this week, Ask God to lead you the people who are looking for redemption. Will you ask God? I'm talking, let's do this every day for a week. And I hope it goes beyond a week. Ask God to lead you the people who are looking for redemption. And when you start praying that prayer, be aware that person is coming to your desk. Be, be aware of people that you're at basketball games with or your child's sporting events with. Be aware of the you know, people at work or in your neighborhood, even in your family, maybe even at church. Just be aware. People need redemption stories, and they need your redemption story. Do you know your redemption story? Man, I was held captive by this. I was in bondage to this. But God released me for that for a purpose. Man, I'm living for purpose. Or I was dead in hopelessness. I was dead in discouragement. I was dead and not living a purposeful life, just living for me. But God came in, I tell you, I gave my life to Christ and he's released me for a purpose to love him, love others, whatever that story may be. Know your redemption story and ask God to lead you to people who are looking for redemption. It became Anna's purpose in life. It became what mattered most to her. And I'm telling you, it needs to, this is what needs to matter most to you. It needs to matter most to me. It needs to become our purpose. Ask God to involve you in great things like he did with Anna. This is praying in line with his will. And you know what? This may be one of the greatest acts of kindness that you'll ever do. Well, let's pray. And then uh, got a couple more things left. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word today. Thank you for the story uh, regarding Anna, that she encountered the risen, or she encountered the Savior, and then she made it, it made, she made it her purpose to speak to all who were looking forward to redemption. So, Father, I pray that we'll know our own redemption stories, that we'll know them and be prepared, and that we'll just... Uh, walk this life unhurried 
walk this life unhurried, paying attention to the people you put in our lives because people want to hear our redemption stories. People want to know that the Redeemer is here, that the Redeemer is involved and present. And I pray, Lord, we'll make this our purpose. Lord, that we'll just pay attention to the people you bring across our paths and be ready, be ready to share the hope we have in you. Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. And Lord, I pray your blessings on all uh, that are watching this. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.